Ladies and gentlemen, basketball fans across the world, it is I, Jeremy Brenner, here with another episode of the Basketball Podcast, part of the Basketball Podcast Network, and in celebration of the Utah Jazz being on top of the NBA world, as we all expected uh, about a month into the season, it's Jazz Week here on the Basketball Podcast and when I reached out to my guest today, he said, uh, let me let me pull out this exact quote because this is um, I know those D will teams about as well as anyone. So Man. today we're talking uh, and this week in these two episodes this week, we're talking Darren Williams era of the Utah Jazz. And I'm thrilled to have McCade Pearson here with me. He knows these D will teams about as well as anyone self self-proclaimed and he's the host of the home court press podcast the utah jazz podcast mccade thank you for coming on and uh how's it going today it's going real well you know so you're what 22 23 years old as well right yep mm-hmm. so i'm 23 and my family we got season tickets the year before we drafted darren williams so the year that led to the tank to get darren williams and so this is my childhood from the time i'm like 9 to 14 years old and then this past summer, when we didn't have basketball for four or five months waiting for the bubble, I went back and I watched a ton of these games just because of the nostalgia of my childhood for them, as well as they're just a really, really fun team to watch because a lot of what they did back then on the offense is kind of what the NBA does now. Um, not a lot of three-point shooting, but a lot of that same ball movement I did. A ton of pick and roll, obviously, with Jerry Sloan. And so I've just done a lot of deep dive into this team, um, both as a early teenager, as a fan, and then now as a more adult, like, let's look at the cap scenarios that were going on. Let's look at the legacies that are going on and kind of had those two different perspectives. So if we want to talk Darren Williams jazz from the beginning to the end, I I'm probably your guy. Well, well, that's what we're doing here today and tomorrow. This is all we got. And you know, it's interesting because I think when people think jazz, you think Stockton Malone and you don't really think of the Darren Williams era, which is what I love about this topic is because I'm trying to go for as unexpected, unpredictable as possible. And there are some real interesting stories here. And this team doesn't get as much attention as it probably deserves, you would think. Yeah, um, I mean, they were the top offense one year, really the top offense for a couple years there. Mm -hmm. And they went head-to-head with Kobe's Lakers, the second – they didn't win a three-peat. They lost to the Celtics the first time around. But those second pair of championships, you have the whole Derek Fisher fiasco that I don't know how much we'll get into. Just a really, really weird era – of the Jazz trying to tape everything back together after Stockton's retirement and doing a good job of it before it fell apart. Yeah, so let's let's uh, commit a time traveling violation and let's go back to 2000 and a little bit before Darren Williams comes. So let's go back to 2003-04. Stockton Malone are done as members of the Jazz. Stockton retires. Malone does his you know retirement tour in Los Angeles. He retires there uh, shortly after. And the Jazz are kind of left without much of an identity. But then they start to pick up on these free agents. They get Andre Kirilenko a few years back from Russia. They get Mehmet Okur from Detroit. They get Carlos Boozer from Cleveland. And it's a bunch of these, you know, under-the-radar free agents. Not anyone, like, star quality. But you're starting to see pieces of a team building here. And ultimately, the Jazz aren't very good. And they bottom out, and they are towards the top of the lottery for the first time in forever. They have the sixth pick in the 2005 NBA draft, a draft class highlighted by Andrew Bogut, went to the University of Utah. 
and or is it Utah, school. Is it Utah University or is it the University of Utah? It's the University of Utah, and that okay. is the school I'm about to graduate from here in a few oh, months. Oh, shout out to Andrew Bogut. But yeah, so you got Andrew Bogut. Um, great year for University of Utah. They got Alex Smith too, number one. And that it was a fun time. When that was crazy. But Andre Andrew Bogut is up there. Chris Paul still there. Uh, but then there's also Darren Williams, and Darren Williams uh, was just leading the University of Illinois. Fighting Illini to a title game appearance in March Madness. And there's a lot of buzz around the top picks, but Utah's drafted number six, but they make the move to trade up with Portland. And do you remember this, McKay? Do you remember this draft? Are you like. I just remember moving up and getting Darren Williams, who's supposed to solve all our problems. Because you go back, you mentioned Dr. Malone retire, go to LA. Uh, Okur's winning the championship with the Pistons that year. Boozer's playing with rookie LeBron. Everyone's saying the Jazz are going to be the worst team of all time. And Jerry Sloan somehow pieces together a 41 and 41 season with all star Andre Karolinko, mm-hmm. um, who signed a six year, $86 million deal that comes back to haunt the Jazz later throughout this entire era. Um, and then, yeah, you get to the draft now. And you're like, hey, this is our chance to really make a point, make a move. So we had gotten the previous year, we just traded away our first round pick for nothing. Um, for just it was just a hey, can we have your pick this year? You can have our pick next year with the Mavericks. We used that pick, and then Carlos Arroyo we had found as a undrafted free agent and turned him into a first round pick with Detroit. Um, that pick ended up being the thirtieth pick in two thousand six, but that's where we get those two extra picks to move up from six to three. Mm-hmm. And then the question becomes: Darren Williams or Chris Paul? And I'd like to tell you there's an answer 15 years later, 16 years later, but I still think that's a very much question of did they make the right move or not because both those guys were awesome in their six or seven years with their franchises and then both got traded. Now Chris Paul's had a longer career, but it's still a very interesting question we could spend an hour on. on did they make the right decision with Darren Williams versus Chris Paul at number three? Yeah, and that's that's a question we can discuss another time, but we're go- we're just dealing with the facts right now. So the facts were they take Darren Williams number three. And that gives Utah at least something to build on and give someone a pair with Karolinko, a guard, you know, it it gives them someone that can run the offense and that, and Darren Williams is a huge part of why this offense and this ball movement that we discussed earlier and why it grew into what it was. Yeah. And so you have a weird rookie season. Darren only starts about half the season. Um, him and Sloan have a little bit of friction, which I'm sure we'll talk about later as well. But uh, he starts, I think, 45 games. The Jazz are okay. I think, that, you know, they missed the playoffs a little bit, but you can see the hope. You know, the mm-hmm. buzz around town is we might be good in a few years. Darren Williams and Memento, I mean, sorry, uh, Carlos Boozer and Memento Kerr break out a little bit more into all of a sudden really solid role players and eventual all stars. And so you can see it forming together, and then you head into 6 07 season, and you're like, okay, this team might be able to push for the playoffs. That was the goal. We actually bought our season tickets that year through a broker, and him and my dad got in a big fight throughout the before the season of, okay, if they make the playoffs, who gets the playoff tickets? Is that part of the package? Mm-hmm. And the broker was like, yeah, you know, they're not going to make the playoffs. If they do, it will be two games anyway. You can have them. It's not worth the fight because, you know, they'll get blown out in games three or four of a series, and that's that. And, of course, it turns into a Western Conference Finals run. Yeah, they had a little more than two games. <laughs> so Utah entered the 2007 playoffs. So I guess what was the difference, McCade, in the 05-06 team that was mediocre at best to 06-07? That was a 51-31 and record, the fourth seed in the West, which, you know, 
they were they were technically i think what they were technically fifth place yeah they had, had weird they had weird rule. rule where they get yeah. to host the playoff series because they won their division yeah so it's that a weird yeah they had weird playoff tiebreaker rules so they got the four seed but houston got to host the playoff series despite mm-hmm. the rockets being the five seed but yeah the jazz came out of the 06-7 season their over under was 39 and they started 12 and 1 and everyone was just like okay here we go you know we have Stockton Malone for the next 20 years again um you could probably talk to a lot of people, especially my age, about that 0607 season and be like, in 2021, are Daniel Williams and Carlos Boozer wrapping up their careers with the Jazz? And we just all would have said yes, because, you know, that's how Stockton Malone were, right? <laughs> yeah. So that was a little unrealistic expectations that could have played into the downfall as well, as these guys were not Stockton Malone. They were Daniel Williams and Boozer. And we kind of put some unfair expectations on them. But yeah, so they go 12 and 1, continue a great season, winning division. You mentioned the 51 and 31. And then they get into a really, really weird long exhausting playoff series with i believe you're houston rockets if i'm not mistaken yeah right? I'm, I'm a houston guy so i remember this series and the rockets went up to nothing in this series yes. and this series was mostly uh defined by defense only once did a team shoot over score over 100 in this series and that was in game seven yes so the rock it was basically the home team won each game in the first six games and then you get to game seven Rockets are favored to win. It's McGrady. Uh, this is at this point T Mac and Yao's best year together. Uh, McGrady is at the best. Uh, he's in. He's healthy, which is you know a rarity in Houston. But ultimately, the Jazz pull away with this one. And I tell you, that was one of the low points in Houston's uh, you know Yao McGrady era because they thought this was the team that could have been the team to go far. Especially because the the one seed that year, the Mavericks, as we all know, dropped a series to the We Believe Warriors, which meant that the Jazz get to host the second round series against the eighth-seeded Warriors, and that put the Jazz in prime position to advance to the conference finals, which they ended up doing. Yeah, a couple random facts for you there. That's the only playoff series that Jazz have had home court in the last 20 years, which is just an insane stat. Yeah, I guess guess so. You're right. They're always the five seed. Always. We'll talk about (laughs) three five seed years this year. Um, But yeah, so game seven is super weird. You mentioned the 6-0 for the home teams the first six games. Up to that point, that happened 10 times in NBA history, and that was the 11th. The Jazz controlled game seven for the first three quarters, and then the Rockets went on a huge run to start the fourth quarter. This is a really fun game to go watch on YouTube, by the way, if you have a few minutes, especially the fourth quarter. And so the Jazz find themselves down 84-80 with about seven minutes to go, and their offense just goes berserk. The last 12 possessions, the Jazz scored 23 points. Um, Boozer has two massive and ones. Andre Karenko hits his only three-pointer the entire series to tie it up with five minutes to go. And then Money Man Mehmet Okur hits two more threes down the stretch to kind of put the game out of reach. It was it was unbelievable to watch because we were such a bad road team, and we were 0-3 in the playoffs on the road, obviously. And just to break through with 23 points and 12 possessions down the stretch was just, as you mentioned, it was a really defensive series and to have an offensive explosion like that at exactly the right time helped us win that series, but also helped us set the tone for the rest of the Darren Williams era. Yeah. So at this point, the jazz then go to uh, get, then go back home to host golden state. They take care of them in what was five games, five games. They blew us out in game three, the bears, um, the bear, the the Baron Davis dunk over Andre Kalinko that everyone always makes fun of. Um, <laughs> we won in five, so whatever. Yeah. So the Jazz moved to their first conference finals since 1998. 
It was a fun time around. Um, what was really weird about that series is nobody thought we could beat the Spurs or compete with the Spurs, and we lost to the Spurs in five games. But we're up 3-1 coming home for game five. And on that off day is – In the Warrior the, series. Yes, and on yeah. that off day is the Suns-Spurs series. And we're thinking, okay, we have the offense to keep up with the Suns. We can slow their game down. We play well against the Suns. We're not really scared of the Cavaliers in the East or the Pistons if they come out like – is there all of a sudden a weird back road to a championship there? Like, mm -hmm. how crazy is that? And you get the Robert Ori, Steve Nash, Amari Sotomayor, Boris Diaw get suspended because of the body check, all that fun Sun Spurs thing. And we're just going, oh, no, the, the Spurs are going to win the series and we're done. So that was kind of our, like, downing moment was the Suns getting eliminated more than us trying to compete with the Spurs because the Spurs are, as we all know, just a in another world for that 20 years. Yeah, because the Jazz had the offense to compete with the Suns. Yeah, like, no, they were number one, number two offense. The only difference was everyone loved the Suns because they played fast, so the points for game numbers that were popular at the time looked a lot bigger. Yeah. Uh, we could slow them down and compete with the Suns just fine, but the Spurs, Tim Duncan was just too amazing. We couldn't stay with uh, Tony Parker, and they were just a really deep team. Mm -hmm. And so the Jazz move on, they face the Spurs, and you lose in five, but... After so what, you know, McCade, you've got a whole lot of you know interesting tidbits. So do you have any for this this series right here? Uh, no, this first just kicked our butt. There's no way around that. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> we blew them out in game three, just like the Warriors blew us out in game three. Exact same idea. There were some rough calls in game four, but that's not going to change the series. And we couldn't even compete with them on the road. We got blown out all three times on the road. Um, but. After Oh, yeah, go, go for ahead. it. Sorry. I was going to say, after it was like, holy crap, we just made the Western Conference Finals. What's the future going to hold? And we never got close back to that point. So kind of a disappointment looking at where we were at that moment to where we end up over the next few years. Yeah. So going into 2008, in, into the 2007-2008 season, you, what is what is your expectation of this team? Is this team going uh, back to the Western Conference Finals? Where where you see where do you see this team? You know, we all talk about Donovan Mitchell or Luka Doncic and how young they are. Darren Williams was coming off his second season on that playoff mm -hmm. run. We were yeah. thinking this guy's still on his rookie contract for a couple of years. It's only his third season. Um, Ronnie Brewer was about to come into his own a little bit. Uh, Boozer and Okur still on really nice contracts. It's kind of weird. We had some really nice contracts and the AK balloon contract that kind of balanced everything out. There was hope that we could figure out a way to win a title in the next five or ten years. Because, you know, we thought everything was going to stay together forever because, again, that's what happened with Stockton Malone. So why wouldn't this go on for the next decade? Yeah, so that year, the Jazz, they finished 54-28, and 28, which is their best record in this entire um, – this is their best record in this entire run, right? Yeah, so we start 13-5, and five, and then we just are awful. We dropped to 16-16, and 16, so we lost 11-14 to 14 games. And this is, I'll talk about three or four moments where I remember right where I was. This is one of them. I'm sitting in line at Tower of Terror at Disneyland, mm -hmm. and my dad gets an email that the Jazz traded Goran Gierdek in a first round pick for Kyle Korver. And that was like, oh, we got a shooter. Like, this is great. And so the rest of that season after the Korver trade, 38 and 12, second best net rating in the league behind the championship Celtics. The Jazz finished that year 37 and 4 at home. We beat every single team that came to our arena that year, except for the Celtics, who we beat on the road. And of course, the Celtics won the championship. Yeah. So just fantastic stuff. Um, you have six all stars on that team, relatively close to their prime. So you have Darren Williams, Carlos Boozer, Randall Kerr all in their prime. AK is not too far past it. And Paul Millsap and Kyle Korver are just around the corner from becoming all stars themselves. So you look at those teams, you know, we talk about a 110 offensive ratings average today, right? And when we had 
five of those six players on the court, our offensive rating was 120 that season. Just insanity, but it was such a slow pace, nobody really noticed. And it was it was a really, really fun, optimistic time heading into those playoffs. Yeah, and that 2008 playoff uh, race was incredibly tight. You had the Lakers, who would eventually come out of the West that year, but that year was also the year the Rockets were really hot. They had that... Uh, you know, ridiculous win streak. Uh, they had, um, who else was it? The, the Spurs were the still Spurs really right, right there. The Hornets are right there. I think one through the Hornets, six was, that was their best by three games, right? 57 to 54 for one through six or something like that. Yeah. I'm, um, pull that up. Just double check. But yeah, the Jazz finished with the sixth best record, but they got the five seed because they won the division. So they actually got the four seed, but again, played Houston without home mm-hmm. court advantage because it's all just a mess back then. So deja vu, another four, five, bizarro series Always. Always. where the uh rockets despite being the lower seed are hosting this series yeah. but yet again history repeats itself the jazz yeah. came out of this series with the rockets uh this time in six games uh that rockets team um was That's a little injuries. bit they got some yeah, they got they, banged they, up a little bit they didn't have um, yao ming in that series yeah and, uh yao ming it, which was kind of the bizarre thing about that that team was and I'll do a I'll do a streak episode at some point. I would love to dive into that. And uh, um, but that Rockets team, they were half of that streak. It was like a 22 game win streak. Half of that streak was without Yao Ming. So they went. Dikembe Mutombo was the starting uh, center for yes, that team. His last legs. And you know the the Jazz are just too deep uh, for the Rockets that year. And uh, ultimately the Jazz come out and they go to the second round once again and there the jazz meet the lakers and this is where that early season struggle really hurt the jazz i mean they were 37 at 37 and 4 at home that's one of the best marks of all time but just that one stretch where he lost 11 out of 14 drops you from the one seed to the sixth best team and instead of you know getting i mean not that a second round matchup's ever going to be easier but it's tough to go to la after a tough series with the rockets and you just start playing behind the eight ball at that point but uh, that Lakers series, behind that 07 Rockets series, which we won and I loved, but this 08 Lakers series is probably the best series I've ever watched um, from a Jazz perspective. And that game four, which we'll dive into a little bit, was the best game I have ever been to. And I've been to just about every Jazz playoff game over the last 15, 20 years. Yeah, so let's talk game four. Um, is this is this the time when Derek Fisher is... No, this yeah. isn't it. No, oh, there is bad blood with Derek Fisher. In this yeah, let's series. talk. Let's talk Derek Fisher because he was, you know, obviously with the Lakers for their titles, and then he goes to Utah for a year or two. And I remember the only thing I remember vaguely about Utah. Obviously, I don't follow Utah tremendously, um, especially as a kid. But I remember Derek Fisher's like had like his daughter needed surgery, and he he played that same day, and he had like a great game. That's like vaguely what I remember from Derek Fisher. It was a positive moment, but obviously the uh, romance was a only a honeymoon phase. Yeah, so we trade for him to kind of come mentor D. Will. He'd been on that first three Pete Lakers team, right, and had some winning experience and fan favorite immediately, even for the one season he played for us. And his daughter, who was, I believe, about 10 months old at the time, got diagnosed with a rare form of eye cancer. Mm-hmm. and we are nice pe- most people are nice people right and so you know you really feel for the guy he's a fan favorite he's in and out during the playoffs um one of those warriors games he's in new york for his daughter to have surgery 
He catches a plane at like three in the afternoon. His plane lands at halftime and he checks in with like two minutes to go in the third quarter and he hits a three in overtime to push the Jazz to a victory. Like super cool moment. That's probably the game you're talking about where he walked into the arena like literally with two minutes to go in the third quarter, 20 minutes off a plane. And it was just an awesome, awesome teammate. All the players loved him. And so, uh, but his, you know, daughter had some eye cancer and some issues and had to get those worked out medically. And there was two doctors in the country that were an expert at this. One was in New York and one was in LA and his daughter's getting treatment in New York. And Fisher came to our front office and our owner after the season said, Hey, is there any way we can agree to a buyout? Um, you know, I want to go be with my daughter and what can we do here? So I don't have to play the last couple of years. I think it was one year left on his contract. might've been two. Mm-hmm. And so we buy him out, take kind of a, a cap hit for it. We're just trying to play Mr. Nice Guy. He's like, I just can't focus on basketball that much right now. And then within 48 hours of us buying him out, he signs with the Lakers, who's you know our big rival, or the team we hate. His daughter was getting treatment in New York, changes to the doctor in L.A. And it just – it was some bad blood because we feel like he used his daughter a little bit to get out of his contract to go back to the Kobe Bryant Lakers for that second mm-hmm. run. How real that is, nobody really knows, obviously. You don't want to be that guy who's you know making – just being annoying being assumptions about, about yeah. yeah but at the same time within 48 hours it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way to where he we felt that he was taking advantage of us to an extent to get back to la so that's kind of how it feels a little bit when daryl Morey left the rocket yeah same idea and, and he's like i want to spend i, I want to take some time off that time off was like you know two yeah. hours and same idea within 48 hours he signed with the lakers and we're all like are you kidding me yeah and now and, we have to play him in the playoffs and do you think that that hurts having to face Derek Fisher in the playoffs uh, against the Lakers? It's still a very bitter subject among Jazz Twitter. We have one guy that just hounds it every day. Anytime the Jazz do anything, win, lose, it doesn't matter. He's like, just remember that Derek Fisher lied to teams to get out of his contracts. Because I think he did it to a lesser extent to one other team as well. So he did it to the Rockets. Yeah. So there are there <laughs> are parallels here, buddy. Yes, there are bad. Bl- there's still bad blood. Um, and then you're playing against him, him and Kobe, and you have Darren and a young Ronnie Brewer, and yeah. So there's bad blood, and Fisher ends up missing a super crucial free throw in Game Six, and the crowd goes nuts for multiple reasons. But there was there was issues there. So, but wrapping it back to this first Lakers series, the Jazz get blown out in the first half in games one and two. Eke out a winning game three at home. That was kind of close. The Jazz were in control, but the number looks close. And, you know, it did get a little stressful there because you have Kobe Bryant on the other side. Um, and then you have a game four on Mother's Day. The Jazz never play at home on Sundays because we have a strong LDS presence here. Right. Um, and when they do, I mean, let alone an afternoon primetime ABC game. But when you're playing the Lakers in the second round of the playoffs, you're going to get those. And so we had actually sold our tickets to that game and woke up that morning. And it's Mother's Day. My mom goes, you know, the only thing I want to do for Mother's Day is to go to the Jazz game. So we end up buying different tickets in our season <laughs> tickets, and just me and my mom go to the game. Um, so super special me and my mom moment there, right there. So we go to the game with not our season tickets, with other random tickets, and it's the most fun Jazz game I've ever been to in my life. Did you get a seat upgrade or a downgrade? Uh, we were downgrade. So we had seats. Was that the year we were on the fifth or sixth row? Anyway, we got seats on the front row, the upper bowl. So I, okay. depending, but it was fun. no, and it's super fun to sit on the front row of the upper bowl. Cause then no one's in front of you and you have space. And they were, I think center court, they were awesome. And just that game was so intense because first of all, you have, there was an incident in the first half where I believe it was Ronnie Turioff fouled Ronnie price super hard and Ronnie price had to go get stitches and there was a flagrant and then double technicals. And it was just one of those super intense, Holy crap, these guys are going to kill each other moments. Mm-hmm. And then in the second half, Ronnie Price had a huge chase down block on Luke Walton. And it was just a very intense game. The Jazz were in control of. They were up by like 12 points with four minutes to go. 
but Kobe Bryant did his Kobe thing um, and just ruined all our lives and tied up the game and it forced overtime. Um, the Jazz ended up winning in overtime to tie the series 2-2, going back to LA. This is our chance. We're competing with the Lakers. And it didn't quite work out the way we'd hoped, but it was a big, big win to hold on, come back, super intense game. To We're tied 2-2 with the Lakers, who are going to probably win the title. They wouldn't, but they'd win the next two. And uh, it was a it was a fun game to be at. Now, have the like if you so was there any idea like oh maybe if we can get we're tied at two if we can get past the Lakers do you think we can you know get past the hump from the previous year and make it to the finals or was yeah. it was it kind of still oh the Rock or the Jazz are still you know very big underdogs here and you know we're so all it's only a matter of time. At that point, the whole NBA is really rising. You have Dwight Howard, Carmelo, LeBron. You have all those guys rising, um, Darren Williams and Chris Paul. So it was getting tougher and tougher, not mathematically. Mathematically, you're still one out of 30 to win a championship. But it wasn't, oh, you know, maybe we'll get the 07 Cavs in the finals. It wasn't – you don't have that mindset anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Spurs were still sitting on the other side. They were in a crazy six home games and a road win series with the Hornets. So – we're playing against the Lakers thinking, you know, maybe if the Pelicans come out, then we get our Chris Paul-Darren Williams battle. Uh, Darren Williams dominated Chris Paul head-to-head those first four or five years. And so, you know, we're thinking, okay, if the Hornets win, maybe we have a chance to get to the finals. And if we can get to the finals, anything can happen. So not necessarily as much title aspirations as when the Suns and Spurs were close the year before and we were up on the Warriors. But definitely, if we can get through this round, we can at least see what happens. We're more experienced now. We've already been to the Western Conference Finals. This time we might be able to win it. But it's just impossible to get past Kobe Bryant. That man ruined my childhood every single year. <laughs> yeah. We, and, uh, you know, the Kobe episodes of the basketball podcast, yes. go, check, go check those out. Yes. Um, but I think this is a good place to stop for today. Uh, but tomorrow we're going to get into a little bit more juicy stuff. We're going to get into, yeah. uh, the, we, we've kind of talked about the rise and the peak of the jazz. And if you're interested in watching the jazz fail, talking to you, Rockets fans, Tune in tomorrow. Yes, sir. <laughs> so thank you, McCade, for coming on. Uh, feel free to drop your Twitter or anything you're working on and for the listeners to hear about. Yep. Uh, as I mentioned, if you're a Jazz fan or your team's about to play the Jazz, Home Court Press is the podcast me and my co-host Brian Priest do. Other than that, uh, I'm a stats major, so I do a lot of numbers and random graphs and stuff. Twitter is at McCade P8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. And thank you so much, McCade. And you can follow the Passable Podcast, of course, at Basketball, P-A-S-T-K-E-T, Ball. And we are part of the Basketball Podcast Network. So be sure to follow them on Twitter and Instagram at HoopsPodNet. And if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Jeremy Brenner. That's J-E-R-E-M-Y-B-R-E-N-E-R. Make sure you subscribe to your podca- uh, to the Passable Podcast on your uh, app of choice so you can m- tune into tomorrow's episode with this mr mckay pearson and we'll talk more jazz and if you have a topic that you'd like to hear on the podcast feel free to reach out to me on on twitter i'm always you know the great thing about this podcast is there's endless possibilities we can we can talk about literally anything except current day basketball that's what i won't discuss but no no i I, you know what maybe i will talk current day basketball if i'd like and the jazz are good let's talk current yeah yeah so maybe we will tomorrow um but yeah thank you so much for tuning in and until next time rewind and be kind.